0: everybody thanks for tuning in to the coaching call podcast on this podcast we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports martial arts fitness and business we'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching.
1: Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. Good morning, Kim. Thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today?
2: I have been so excited about this call. I am doing uh, great. Thank you so much. I love your show. Uh, I love what you. you're doing for people. You're, you're just such a giver. And that's <sighs> such a wonderful thing. I, I love what you do.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It, it makes a difference when we can connect with people, Right.
2: Yes, absolutely. Isn't life all about people? I mean, you know, sometimes I think we get mixed up in our minds and we think life is all about our business or all about whatever it is that we're doing. And really life is all about people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you have had quite a life. (laughs) I have. And we definitely want to talk about what's, what's going on, but also what you're doing for people, which I'm, I'm loving. You are helping people in so many different ways, but you know, if you, and I know you've heard my show, but I love the background. I love what's going on and how you even got here. So I'd love to talk about little Kim, Uh little Kim, who. Um, ran around and did whatever it is when you were five, six, all the way up to 10, 12. And then even at that age, if you can recall um, some of the experiences that you had that maybe when you reflect back, help shape who you are today.
2: Yeah, well, I I think so many, you know, Mm. I believe that every day you've lived up until today shapes you, forms you Mm. to make you the person you are today. I also believe (laughs) that we have to give each other mercy and grace and realize that I'm not the same Kim that I was before. You know, like Mm -hmm. six-year-old Kim or 12-year-old Kim is like, I don't know, 24 Kims ago or or something (laughs) like that, probably. (laughs) But um, I had a great childhood. I uh, grew up in a neighborhood with lots of kids, lots of kids my age.
0: Mm. And
2: so I had friends, played outside all the time, played a lot of kickball and basketball, you know, whatever, just, um, fun stuff. I played sports and loved playing sports. And I just, I had a great childhood. I had a lot of fun. One thing that I think was a big shaper of where I am today is my dad was always an entrepreneur and my mom was right there by his side. You know, they were, they were in it together. And, um, one of the businesses my dad had was a plastic bag manufacturing company. Mm-hmm. And he uh, had a machine in our basement. So he had this big plant, but he put a machine in our basement. And if we wanted money to go to the movies or whatever, we want to do something with friends, we needed to go make bags so that we could earn money to be able to go. And I think there's wisdom in that, that. I learned from a young age that you know hard work pays off and uh work is necessary
1: wow that is that is so definitely a great lesson for your dad to teach you and and was it just you you had siblings how many
2: i have two older brothers Mm. and we're almost exactly 12 months apart each oh wow so my insane mother in fact when I was in high school, um, that I took the home and family living class, you know the sex education class, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, they were talking about family planning. And the teacher recommended that we go home and ask our parents if we were planned. And so I have one brother who was born July 13th, a brother who was born the very next July 26th, and then I was born the very next September 3rd. So we are bang, 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 right? And so (laughs) I went home and I I said, so mom, was I planned? And she said, are you kidding me? Who would have this many kids this close together? Absolutely not. You weren't planned. And then I thought I was pregnant again. So I made your dad go to the doctor. And oh my gosh, I wasn't planned. I was like devastated at first and then realized, yeah, people probably wouldn't plan it that way.
1: (laughs) But maybe you were planned. It may be it was God's plan.
2: Right. right? Yeah. If
1: we think of it that way. Um, you know, one of the things that for my children, I planned it. My ex wife, I- I'm divorced, she did not plan it. So I didn't marry her until she said, I'm ready for kids. Because I want the kids. And if she didn't want kids at the point in my life, I needed somebody who did. Mm. I'm number 10 of
2: 12. Oh, you are? Wow. Yes. Wow. Big family. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I needed um, to also have a family. If it was up to me, I would have had 12.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't up to me, right? It, it's, uh, it takes two to tango, if you will. Yes. So I planned everything. I mean, I planned our honeymoon according to her menstrual cycle. So <laughs> she got pregnant on her... An hour honeymoon. (laughs)
0: Wow. And then
1: she, once that first one came, she she had a hard, hard labor. Um, You know, she had to be bedridden for for months before she was able to deliver. And then she was like, I'm done. I don't want any more. And I was like, what? No way. So I kept insisting, 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 insisting. And then finally she gave in. So three years later, we had our second child. But it was me pushing, 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 pushing. And like I've always said, I wish I would have had a tribe. But maybe it wasn't in in the books for me, right? Like it was for my parents. And my parents, you know, Roman Catholic, they didn't have, uh, if you will, they didn't have or didn't believe in contraception.
2: They they didn't have good rhythm, in other words.
1: Or <laughs> well, maybe they had too much good rhythm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One or the other, right. Yeah.
1: Who would you say, I know your dad was an entrepreneur. I love the fact that he made you go and kind of like earn your money, right? And it wasn't child labor because he was, you weren't demanded to earn it. If you wanted it, you can earn it. Besides your dad and your mom, who obviously were two amazing humans, who would you say influenced you early on? Uh,
2: teachers, certain teachers that I had that I had great respect for and um, were, uh, you know, it's funny because I was thinking about this before the call mm. that um, like my best friend, actually, Sheila Hughes, uh, had a huge, huge impact on my life. But so did so many of my friends, Kathy, Joe and Mary and Sue and I could go on and on Um Seeing how people my own age treated life and reacted to life and uh, reacted to each other, like that, that taught me so much mm. because everybody comes from a different family, right? right. Yes. And so, what happens in the house, you know, in each house is different. And so, to see how my friends treated things and, and how things were for them uh, had a big impact on me. Like that, that really shaped me. Um, but it's the people that were the positive people in my life that, Mm. that were the influence.
1: I love it. So, and you said teachers, does anyone stand out for you?
2: Yes. Howard Myers. Uh, he was also my basketball coach Mm. and he, he was just amazing. He treated everybody, uh, the same equally with great respect. Although I think he liked the basketball players maybe a little bit more than just the students. <laughs> I'm going to go with that one. And right. I might have been a favorite. I don't know. Mm. But um, <laughs> in my head, I was, I was a favorite. Mm-hmm. But uh, he just was this true blue. Um, you knew what to expect from him. He uh, never, I don't know, like you just knew who he was. And there's something great about that. Mm. about really knowing that somebody is dependable that that what they say they mean you know what uh is important to them they live that out you know they they walk their talk and so Howard Myers he was amazing amazing man
1: well then we got to give out a shout out whether he's still around or not but maybe um you know his legacy will live on because he made an impact probably not just on you, but on many other people. And those are the people that we have to recall because if they touched more than one life in a positive way, because there's a lot of people who've touched our lives in a negative way and we kind of want to forget them a little bit, but they also made us who we are, you know, for, for a lot of people who who've hurt me along the way, I thank them. I thank them. They taught me so much on how to not treat people, how to be a better person because do I want to be like them or do I want to be better than them? So there's lessons in that, right? There are, it depends there. on how you see it.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. I love, I love that. You know, I think, um, you know, I've gone on this big love journey. Right. And so, uh, mm what I have found is that when people really love the right way, when Mm. people really love, those are the people that you're drawn to. Mm -hmm. Those are the people you want to hang out with. Right. Right. When there, when there's this authenticity, this just sincerity, this true love, those are the people that, that you want to be with, Mm. that you want to spend your time with. Right. Mm.
1: Right. So talk to me about when you were in your twenties, what did you do? What, kind of adventures did you have? And once again, you know, I want to know who impacted your life as well.
2: Well, uh, I was going to be the first woman president of the United States, uh, just so you know, yes. Yes. And so I had my life laid out before me. And Mm. um, I wasn't sure that a husband and kids would fit into the equation. But I did know that if I ever were to get married, he had to have two things, he had to be over six foot tall, because Mm. my Five foot nothing mom married a short man and I wanted my kids to have a fighting chance at some height. And uh, he had to be good looking because I wanted my wedding pictures to look good. And so I was very deep thinker, but I have to say, um, I did find that man. He walked into my life 10 days after he did. I asked him to marry mm. me and he said, yes. And he had such an influence and such an impact on my life. He was just uh, talking about True Blue, he was just steady, Eddie, great guy. Everybody loved him. Um, he, uh, We did everything together. We worked together. We coached together. We, of course, had kids together. Mm, <laughs> and uh, he was just, he was a man who had great faith and, and then lived out his faith and, like, chased God, always wanted more, always wanted to know more, wanted to be closer to God his whole life. And that uh, just him demonstrating that to me was huge.
1: Wow. And so at what point um, and, and then how did you meet this incredible person? You know, I love the fact that you you had prerequisites, if you will. He had to be over six foot tall. He had to have this. A lot of people don't do that and what they wind up getting is someone that they either settle for or that they don't really relate with it's maybe it's chemistry maybe they they it's they fall not in love but they fall in lust as i call it and then later on they they get married they unite and then it's turmoil it's 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 fights is this is that But you had you had a prerequisite. And I love that because when we know what we want and we put it out into the universe, we we ask God for that person to show up in our lives. And as long as we hold out, we get that, don't we?
2: Yeah, we do. We do. I got to say, I think my list would be a little different now. Sure. We
1: change, don't we?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. But yes, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I think that's such an important point that it's worth saying again, Mm. like um, hold your standards high. Nobody should ever settle. You know, you make sure that you're with the person you should be with and then love them, then Mm. love the one you're with and figure out ways to make each other happy and and stay in it in it to win it yeah I love it it. yeah
1: so you both had children how many did you have
2: uh well we had five um yeah I kind (laughs) of yeah I kind of followed in my mother's footsteps Um, Mm. my oldest biological child was four and a half years old when my fourth one was born Mm. so it was a little nuts My 20s were crazy because my kids were little and running around and uh, it was just crazy. And then I have a son from the Dominican Republic who is uh, older when he came into our lives.
1: Mm. Nice. nice. So we're going to talk about something that totally changed you, right? You were diagnosed with cancer was it four months before or four months after your husband was diagnosed
2: before i was diagnosed first mm. yeah i was diagnosed with breast cancer and and uh got a phone call on a friday afternoon you know it wasn't um i i always thought that it was like in the movies when they get, are going to deliver bad news that you're mm. sitting in their office across from them right. and right. huddled with your spouse you know whatever but No, i just got this phone call on a friday afternoon that uh it shook my world you know Mm. changed everything for me and nobody ever wants to hear that word nobody ever wants to hear that they have cancer and Mm. i was shocked i didn't expect it uh even though i had a biopsy you know you think that i'd be mentally prepared a little bit just in case it came back Mm -mm. and said that i had cancer but i was in total denial i just thought there's no way you know Mm. I, i don't i don't have it and So, yeah, so it was um, uh, for anybody who hears that word, anybody that gets any kind of uh, cancer diagnosis, it's tough. It is. Yeah. Wow.
1: Incredible. And now, excuse me. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. (laughs) I I have had people in my life who have cancer. I have one of my clients right now who is – Is going through it and he's been fighting for five years, but they just recently gave him weeks, Mm. which is, you know, pretty devastating, but he's made peace with himself and it changed who he is because he realized that he, when he started reflecting back and I had a conversation with him last week, he said, I didn't like the guy I used to be. Mm. I now like the guy I am because he grew and he saw how many people he hurt along the way or the kind of selfishness that he was, he was putting out into the world. And now he sees that it's changed him. And no matter what happens next, whether he does survive in it, you know, there is miracles that can happen, mm-hmm. but it, it made him appreciate things that much more, and then appreciate himself, and appreciate the things that we all take for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I am sorry to say that you are now a widow.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah. My husband was was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. four months after my diagnosis,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and then um, we had six great weeks together before he passed uh-huh. away.
1: Six weeks.
2: Six weeks. Yeah, it was was fast, very fast, but it was merciful, though. Mm. I have to say,
1: I would agree with that. Yeah,
2: when we walked out of the doctor's office after getting the diagnosis and understanding that there's no cure for pancreatic cancer, you Mm. know, you you have however many more days you have, but we prayed. We prayed that Mm. um, Lord either. Give us a miracle, like mm-hmm. you did the blind, the deaf, you know, the lame, or the greatest miracle, heaven. But please don't let him suffer. Yeah. And I'll tell you, uh, God answered that prayer. Mm-hmm. He, we, we really did have a great six weeks together, and it wasn't until the very last hour that he was was in pain, really suffering.
1: Mm. That that uh, that's a beautiful way of looking at it, right? Um, because I've seen people suffer badly and that's, that should not be right.
2: Yeah, I agree. And and
1: one of the things that you said is that you were in denial. Mm -hmm. When did you accept the news? Really accept the news?
2: Uh, Well, um, when I, when I stopped the shock, when the shock of the phone call mm-hmm. kind of wore off, um I accepted the the news. I went to the bookstore the next morning and uh, found everything to be very depressing or or all medical. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing actually. Uh, and uh, I was sending out my writings. it was very therapeutic. and I was sending them out via email. Mm-hmm. and before I knew it, five thousand people were reading what I was writing and so that actually became my first book because I was writing during the time that my husband uh, was diagnosed because I was still going through my stuff. So I wrote for a little over a year and uh, Cry Until you laugh is the name of that book, because I, it's really what you got to do. Right. Like I think sometimes in grief, people can get stuck in grief, mm. people can get stuck there because it becomes a, sort of a life pattern but also I think that sometimes people uh, feel like if they laugh again if they enjoy life again that they're somehow dishonoring Mm -mm. the person that is left and and I really believe the opposite is true I believe the way I can give the most honor to my husband is to live fully and to enjoy life and and so you know anybody out there that is is in that grief you have permission to live again. Mm-hmm. You you have permission to smile again, to laugh again, to enjoy life again, and, and honor your person that way. You hold on to the memories. And mm-hmm. certainly there's days you're still going to cry. And there's moments that are going to be harder than others. And, you know, certain times of year, Christmas and birthdays, and you mm-hmm. know, things that come up,
1: right. but,
2: uh, but you got to be able to laugh again, you, you need to live, you know, don't yeah. Don't let the grief keep you down. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because if, if, let's say they, they're they looking down, right? they don't want to see you miserable, right? They want to see you happy because if they truly loved you, and I'm sure your husband did, he would want you to be happy. He'd want to see a smile on your face. And you have a beautiful smile, by the way. Oh, so That's <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the truth. You know, I'm not going to say it if it wasn't. (laughs) But the whole thing, when we think about life, however long or however short it is, because in in reality, life is very short. My brother passed when he was 42. Wow. Wow. He was given two weeks, and it was from a, a weird blood disease that he got because he didn't take care of a cut that he had and and got his whole blood system got infected but this man had the opportunity to say goodbye to all of us and we had the opportunity to say goodbye to him and we normally don't get that in life with other people we I consider myself lucky that I was able to say goodbye to my brother. And every day I see my brother, right? I see him because when I come out of my bathroom, I'm, on my corridor, there's, there's his picture with his wife and, and his his child. And I always look at him and I say, you know, how are you doing? And I love you, you know, and, and I look at his wife who is, is very happy, um, and she's still part of our family. And I look at his daughter also. So for me, it's enjoying the, him. And I gotta tell you, my brother was the funniest guy I know. And I don't remember any of the negativity at all, right? I don't even think there is any. I remember how funny he was and how it just, he would just laugh at things and he make us all laugh. And that's the beauty that we can live on because I know that he didn't want us to suffer when he went. And he told me that, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when we get a chance to remember people in a positive way. Right.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, I, I lost my mom years ago Mm. and for quite a while, all I could remember was that time Mm. that when my mom passed away, because it was tragic the way she passed away. And, and all I could remember was, was like that time. Like I tried so hard to think about things with my mom because I had lots of great memories with my mom Mm. and I tried so hard to think about them, but I, I couldn't, it's like my mind just was stuck in that moment. Um, And I was so happy. Mm -hmm. When finally I was able to remember her laugh. She had the best laugh and, and just the fun times that we had with her. Everybody called my mom, mom. All my friends did. (laughs) My friends would show up at my house, whether I was there or not, just to be with my mom. And so uh, she was lovable in so many ways. And um, so it was wonderful when, when I got those memories back. So how awesome for you. To so have those great memories of your brother—that's that's, that's mm. really special. That's wonderful. Yeah,
1: yeah. So you've written not one but two books, right? Right. Tell us again the title of your first book.
2: Cry until you laugh.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because you, you're you're gonna use your heart, I believe, to do both, right?
0: Mm Mm-hmm, right, right.
1: So your inspiration for that book was Your Cancer?
2: Right, yeah. Yep, I started writing. So it's, um, you know, I just thought, gosh, what am I going to go through? You know, Mm. what does it feel like? What is it really like? Are there decisions I need to make? Are there choices, you know? And I found out, yeah, there are. There, There are things you need to know. Mm -hmm. that um, I didn't know anyone who had been through it. So I didn't know I was 47 years old and Mm -hmm. I just thought maybe someday somebody will want to know this stuff. And I actually, I wasn't um, thinking about it being a book as I was Mm -hmm. writing. Uh, And then um, actually my friend, Sheila's sister, Laura, uh, she really pushed me to make it a book and helped me to make it a book and so I have her to thank for that. Mm, but, uh, yeah, but, but it, I, it's helping people. So that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: So th- that's what I meant by y- you're helping people, not only, you know, somebody who is diagnosed. And, and, you know, I got to be, be honest with you. That was a terrible way for you to find out. It was you know they, they had no, uh, I'm gonna say it, they had no class, no compassion, no empathy for a phone call. Mm-hmm.
0: You
1: know, wow, terrible, right. terrible. You, you yeah. don't give news like that, life changing news to someone over the phone. I, I just don't see it.
2: Yeah, no, but especially- hey.
1: I had no compassion, obviously.
2: (laughs) Well, especially on a Friday afternoon. Mm, You know, it was like late enough in the day that it's not like I could call back and ask questions. And, Mm. yeah, it just uh, changed my weekend. That's for sure. sure. Well,
1: your whole new life, if you will. Mm -hmm. Did you see life differently like my friend does?
2: Oh, uh, yes. I, I think anytime you go through any sort of a anything you know, a couple things. One is, is um, it does put things into perspective Mm -hmm. and the little stuff like my husband leaving his dirty socks on the bathroom floor, that didn't matter to me anymore, right? (laughs) Like you realize the the little things don't really matter and it's the big things. And and again, going back to people, you know, it's wanting to be with people and spending time with people. And so it's, uh, it does change perspective, what's really important in life. And it's funny because when I was diagnosed, people would ask me, I'd run into people and they'd say, why you, why you, you do this, you do that, you help people, you whatever. And my response was always, well, why not me? Why would I be immune? You know, I don't think God is in heaven going you stole that pack of gum when you were in seventh grade. So I'm going to give you cancer when you're 47 years old. You know, I don't think that's how it works. And so Mm. anybody could get cancer. It, It can happen to anybody. And, there's lots of disease in the world, unfortunately. And, and so it, it can happen. So, you know, there's not a reason I would be immune to it. Yeah. Right. uh, yeah, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We don't, we don't choose certain things in life, but it's what we do with what happens to us, right? How we handle it. And, would you say your book is more of a, um, a guide, an acceptance, an understanding of your your journey?
2: Uh, I would say my book is sort of a one of a kind because um, the, the subtitle, you, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but the subtitle is uh, "real pain, real love, real funny." Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, laughter in the book um, a lot of funny things that happen and, um, and some crying, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I, so yeah, part of it is, uh, you know, if you have breast cancer, somebody going through any kind of cancer, um, maybe there's some help in there, but it's, uh, more the emotional, uh, journey, I think of it all. And the, and the nuts and bolts of it, like dealing with things that you have to deal with and, I guess I, I, it'd be interesting for me to hear somebody else's take, you know, like how they would describe it. Cause it's not really a how to uh, kind of a book and it's not really just a memoir. It's um, a little bit more than that. So, uh, cause it was how I was feeling, you know, what was going through my mind and, and uh, mistakes that I made along the way and, and things that maybe I did right. And so it's uh, it's, you know, dealing with the kids, you know, whatever. I mean, it's a combination of a lot of things, I guess.
1: Yeah. 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 So how was it for you? Because it took you a a year to write that book.
2: I would, I just wrote periodically. I wrote when I felt like it, you know, maybe once a week or, you know, whatever. And, um, and so, yeah, I wrote for a little over a year because I, finished writing when I was done going through all the stuff I needed to go through physically.
1: Mm. Did you include your, your husband's story in there?
2: Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. I can
1: imagine. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Because I'm sure the emotions were very strong.
2: Oh my word. Yes. It was, um, it was bad. My, my husband started having stomach pain Uh, The same month I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed in September, a couple weeks later, he started having stomach issues and he went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, you know, just take some Rolaids sometimes that you just have an upset stomach because of what your wife is going through. Mm. And then two months later, he went back to the doctor, was told the same thing, but uh, the doctor did set him up with a gastro specialist. And as it turned out because of the kind of breast cancer i had i had to have a complete hysterectomy and a colonoscopy Mm. on the same day so the day before um is the clean out day you know if you've ever had a colonoscopy you don't go too far away from your bathroom you know the day before and that was the day that he met with the gastro specialist and i'm the mouth you know i don't know if you can tell it by now or not but i was the the mouth you know I would be Mm. the one going he needs a test like you got to do something and he was just so sweet he was just sweet and kind and so when he came home uh and he told me that they told him the same thing the doctor had told him the two times before they didn't run a test nothing Mm. I was livid I was so upset and then I was so upset that I was stuck to the bathroom like I felt so bad that I didn't go with him And uh, I thought, what a waste of time. You know, we've got to figure this out for him because he, you know, I mean, he might complain. Men tend to maybe this is stereotyping, but not be the greatest patients. You know, like anytime I was (laughs) sick, anytime I was sick, he would get the same thing, but it was always much worse for him. Always, Mm -hmm. you know, it it was just always worse. And so, uh, but I knew this was a real thing for him. Mm -hmm. Like this wasn't you know, whatever it was going on and on. And so um, I had my surgery and colonoscopy the next day, and I found some bladder cancer, but that's all good now. But anyway, uh, a week out, I was still, you know, wearing elastic pants, you know, elastic Mm. waisted pants, and and whatever, and uh, watching Grey's Anatomy reruns and just (laughs) lounging in bed. And and woke up and and he was awake and he was just miserable he was in pain Mm -hmm. i said well that's it you know go to the er at least they'll run a test they'll do something for you you know they're not going to just say you got the stomach pain go home right and so he went to drove himself to the emergency room and then he was a rule follower and so it said no cell phones so he had his cell phone off so i'm trying to call him trying to call him what's going on what's going on and Finally, I got a phone call from him, and he said, uh, "I guess they're going to keep me overnight." And I'm like, "Keep you overnight? They don't keep anybody overnight. What do you right. mean keep you overnight?" And so I put on, you know, like real clothes, and and then in my vicodin induced state, I drove like a mad woman to get mm. to the hospital. And I was almost at the hospital, and I got another phone call, and he said, "I guess there's a spot on my liver." and I'm like spot on your liver. Oh my gosh, I just started weeping. I just mm-hmm. started bawling and I got to the hospital. I honestly don't remember parking. I do remember running in holding all parts of me because oh. I had pain everywhere and asking where he was and he was behind a curtain and I run back there and I'm sobbing and I whip open the curtain and he's sitting on the edge of the bed like nothing is going on <laughs> as I'm bawling. And he said, "Listen, I am not going to invite you out anymore if this is the way you're going to behave. <laughs> and I said, listen, you are not allowed to be funny right now, uh, but they did admit him and, uh, you know, ran some tests did their thing. And, and even with him, I was in denial. Uh, mm. there were a couple of cancer markers in your blood and, uh, his were out of control. His numbers, the doctor came in and said, uh, his numbers, mm. he'd never seen numbers anywhere near that high. Mm. And, so I said, well, then your lab made a mistake. Right. Do it again. You know, mm-hmm. there, there must have been a mistake if you've never seen anything like this. And he's like, no, no, they didn't make a mistake. I said, well, really? Your lab never makes a mistake? I mean, I was, you know, obnoxious about it mm-hmm. and uh, trying to not deny that anything was happening. But it took a few days. Um, and then we, we got the diagnosis.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Laughing, crying being inspired right even though and, and you know the, the, the greatest gift that I guess you got is that you you didn't see a husband truly suffer mm-hmm. was it because he was hiding it or was it because he really didn't suffer it was all internal right he wasn't in pain like some so many people that I've known have been
2: well he we had the best hospice we had faith hospice is the name of the company and they were incredible absolutely incredible and pancreatic cancer is painful it's Mm. supposed to be one of the most painful if not the most painful cancer and so he was he had morphine like from the beginning Mm. and he was able to regulate the morphine give himself boosts of morphine if he needed to but he had a he had a subdermal so it was a constant flow, you know, so that kept his pain at bay and did a great job of it for six weeks as we were watching Cash Cab and playing Gin Rummy and, you know, whatever we were doing during those right, six right. weeks, just enjoying being together. And, you know, and there were times during that time that that I would just start crying,
1: uh, mm.
2: you know, thinking about it. and And he would just hold me and say, don't cry for me. Don't cry for me. You know, you're the one that has to stay here. I I get to go to heaven, and you're you're gonna be here. Don't cry for me. Mm. And uh, he was just such a strong man, and just he was just such a wonderful guy. Mm. And so, you know, six weeks in, uh, things were okay. You know, I mean, as far as pain, he still pain wasn't an issue. He would have told me, (laughs) I'm quite sure. And pain just wasn't an issue, but he woke up on a Sunday morning and uh, in pain. And I called the hospice nurse right away. She came right over to to help with his pain.
0: Mm.
2: And um, she was on the phone in our bedroom. He was sitting on the edge of the bed and I was holding him from behind because I didn't want him to fall off the bed. And I I said to the nurse, do I call my kids? You know, what's going on? And she's like, Oh no, no, no. You've got weeks, if not months, you've, you've got a long time. Don't worry about it. And then she's ordering a hospital bed and a commode or whatever she's ordering. And, uh, cause we had no equipment, you know, mm. we, were, we were just home, you know, sleeping in the All same right. bed and whatever. And, um, so she's ordering the equipment and and uh she and i asked her again because it just something just didn't feel right he was just miserable and she's like nope nope you have time you have time and i could just feel his pain like i could just mm. feel his absolute misery and i just whispered in his ear and i just said baby just go and mm. he, he never took another breath after that that I'll was it good. well
1: well, wow, you had a feeling, you had that intuition, right? Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. yeah.
2: And it was so God's mer- mercy, for sure. I mean, mm. you know, you've seen people in pain. You've seen people oh, in yeah. linger, right? Linger for a long time. And you're <sighs> like, Lord, just take them. You know, why, why linger? And so I'm so happy for him that he didn't have to go through that. That's mm. not, that's not my kid's last experience with him. Right. Um, You know, just in a hospital bed, you know, whatever. Mm. And, uh, so for him, it was, it was great. It was, it sucked for me to lose. Of course him. it did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, but for him, it was, <clears throat> it was definitely God's mercy.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's beautiful that, you know, he was able to have you at his side, if you will. Right. So then you wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Your friend encouraged you, right, to, you know, your, your journal, if you will, put it into book format because it can help other people. And thank you for doing that, by the way. But you didn't stop there. You've written your latest book, Love Is. Why write that book?
2: Well, losing my husband hmm. at 47 years old, when I planned on being in my nineties sitting on rockers on a front porch, sipping lemonade and smiling at each other, whatever people do in their nineties sitting on the front porch. (laughs) And so all of a sudden my life was different. And so it made me question, what am I going to do? It made me question a lot of things.
0: Mm.
2: And one of the things that made me question was love. And I loved my husband and he, he loved me. We had a great marriage and, But I wanted to know that I was doing this life thing right going forward. And there seems to be this mystery around love, like Mm. different people define it, different ways. You know, nobody seems to have just this clear answer. If you say, what is love? You know, well, what is love, right? I mean, it can be described so many ways and, and so many things. So I decided I was going to dedicate a full year to figuring out the truth about what love really is. And I have to tell you, when I go to a restaurant, I have a hard time committing to an entree. So committing a full year <laughs> to something was something I never <laughs> thought I would do, but, but I did. And I took uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that beautiful poem, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. And I decided I would take one word a month and figure out, well, what is love that is patient? What is love that is kind? And uh, most of the time I was in Haiti, because I was working in Haiti at the time. So most of the time I was in Haiti while I was working on it. And the things that I found out about love are things that I have never heard before, never been taught to me, never heard it expressed uh, Mm. what love really is. And um, it changed my life, rocked my world. And I really believe it would change anybody's life and and change the world.
1: Wow. Wow. Incredible. So you just threw a, a little curveball for me. What were you doing in Haiti?
2: <laughs> well, when I was finally able to go back to work physically, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had some businesses. And I didn't know if I was going to go back there, but people were running them. I didn't need to go back there. And so I thought I'd take it slow. And I, I uh, was a, took a job as part-time bookkeeper of a humanitarian organization that my father and I had started 10 years before then Mm. and a guy was running. And so, uh, January 1st of that year, I started as part-time bookkeeper. And then 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. So I went from part-time to 24 seven. And within Mm. a couple of weeks, I was boots on the ground. I was in Haiti. And then I spent, uh, at least some of every month in Haiti for the next several years after that.
1: Oh, wow. So when you're there and you're seeing all this devastation, did that help you with understanding what love is?
2: Oh, there's so so many things that help me to understand what love is. Uh, But one of the things that it didn't occur to me at the time but looking back is it was the greatest healer service is the greatest healer if mm-hmm. you can get outside yourself and give to others it, it it will heal your grief i mean it's it's amazing i highly recommend it for anyone who's who's grieving you know go volunteer somewhere go help your neighbor go do something and god has this incredible way of you can outgive. You right. you just can't outgive. You know you go somewhere. You think you're giving. You're giving. You're giving. Well, what you get in return is so much greater than anything that you can ever give. No matter how hard you try,
0: right.
2: you just kind of can't outgive. And so it really healed my grief. But yes, the things that that I found out about love, uh, uh, spending a month on each word and figuring out that each one is not anything like I expected it to be like patience, you know, the very first one, we know what patience is, right?
0: Mm.
2: But none of them were were what I expected. Love that is patient is way different than just patience.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, but I kind of had to get hit over the head, you know, by <laughs> at the end of the month, you know, as I'm looking for it, looking for it. Then something big would happen and I'd go, ah, now I get it. Like, yeah. like I was chased by a motorcycle gang. I, I slept outside what? with tarantulas and snakes. I got lost on a mile mountain with a medical student. I mean,
0: crazy uh-huh.
2: stuff happened. And I think it was God saying, Kim, you know, I've been trying to show you. So let me pull <laughs> you through this and then you'll finally see it. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, yes.
1: It, it's uh, It's interesting when you say – God has been telling you all along you just weren't paying attention <laughs> right
2: right right, right. Yeah. just not seeing it yeah.
1: yeah so many times we miss the signs right mm-hmm. because we don't see the sign because we're expecting something else we're expecting something grand when the grand is the small right
2: Oh my gosh. I love the way you put that. That's, that is so true. That's mm-hmm. so true. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look for the butterflies, look for the the little details, the little things happening and right. Yeah. I love that. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah. I'm a detail guy. So for yeah. me, it's without the details, we don't get the big picture.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So,
1: and, and earlier you told me and, and you said, oh, I'm sorry, but my dog is going to be, I have a puppy he's going to be gnawing on his bone. Can I tell you? Great puppy. I heard him gnawing before. I don't know, maybe he fell asleep.
0: I <laughs> think <But>, he's sleeping.
1: <laughs> but, but, now, but, you know, that puppy love, my gosh, how beautiful is that?
2: Right? Oh, my word. Yeah, you know, I compare my grandchildren to the puppy love to be Mm. honest because you uh you know you get home from work and the dog's at the door can't Mm. wait to see you right and it's like you go to my kid's house or they come over and and uh the kids are at the door and they just can't wait to see me and you know i get to hug them and love on Mm. them whatever and and it's like most things i say as they get older not so much but used to be everything i said was funny they, they right. laugh at it. I could do no wrong, you know, whatever. And that's like with your dog, you you can do no wrong. They're, they love you mm. no matter what. They love you no matter what, which is really such a beautiful way to love people mm. and is to love no matter what, just love unconditionally, just, just to love. And that's what grandkids do for you. So uh, that's kind of yeah. fun, too. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. But, you know, we don't do that we should learn so much from dogs right for example so many people walk into our lives and we're just like hey how you doing but we don't go wow it's so great to see you i'm happy to see you how are you doing today and it's not that genuine sometimes it is but also it could be on what's going on in your personal life right
0: mm-hmm.
1: but a dog it doesn't matter what's going on in their personal life. They will be super excited to see you. A dog can be injured and it doesn't matter to them because you walked into the room and they're going, what? I haven't seen you in forever.
0: <laughs> Meanwhile, it could be five, f- minutes, five
1: okay. minutes earlier. Doesn't matter. <laughs> he he walks from one room to the other. <laughs> I go to my girlfriend's uh, mom's house. And the dog is ballistic. I mean, ballistic. And for five minutes, the dog is crazy. So happy to see us. It runs in circles, then comes back and wants to get pet and then runs in circles. And from that alone, that experience, you go, huh. Now, how do we treat each other when we see one another? So to me, that is love, that is unconditional love, to treat someone with concern,
2: right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, the very first month I was working on this thing, and uh, love is patient, it's kind of what you're talking about. I, I thought, well, I know what patience is. You know what patience is. You know, mm. you're not mad because your five-year-old can't find their shoes and you got to get out the door and get to school, you know, or whatever. And you, so you're showing patience. But love that is patient is so different than that. Mm. Love that is patient. First of all, I, I believe you're supposed to love everybody. Just love everybody. That's the way to live. It's what God wants us to do. Just love everybody. Right. And you don't have to like people, by the way. There's a difference between like and love. You know, I mean, you don't have to hang out with everybody. You don't have to have everybody over for dinner. You know, not everybody's going to be a personality that gels with yours. But um, love that is patient would say, whoever you're with. Mm. So whether it's your child, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, a person at the grocery store, whoever, that to show love that is patient, you recognize that this is the most important moment of your life. What's in the past is in the past. And what's in the future is yet to come. This is the moment that's going to come and go with or without you, by the way. Mm. So to be showing love that is patient, you are fully there. You're 100% there. You're fully engaged fully. All of you completely that that's love. Mm. And I sucked at this. I was horrible at <sighs> it. I, I, I would be so distracted, you know, thinking about a meeting I had later and who needed to get picked up from soccer practice and what I needed to get from the grocery store or whatever it was. And I had to practice and practice and practice this. But when I did, when I got it and I would make myself just be in the moment, I, I hear things that I never would have heard mm. because instead of making an assumption about right. what somebody's going to say based on a label I put mm. out, or based on some prior knowledge, I'm actually hearing their words, actually hearing them, and okay. and sometimes you don't even need to respond. Sometimes people just need to talk, mm. and uh, that's showing love that is patient to be fully engaged, be fully there, give all of yourself in that moment to whoever it is you're with.
1: Yeah, you just shared a, a great tip for all of our listeners which is listening is showing love, Mm.
2: right? Mm -hmm. Right, right.
1: Kim, I would love a signed copy of your book, Love Is. I mean, wow. I I can only imagine, you know, all the great, because you took a month for one word. Who does that? (laughs) Only somebody who wants to understand and loves the process. So there's your love, right? You love... And I'm sure you, at times maybe you were driven crazy because you're like, I'm not getting this answer. I want this. And boom, it hit you. And you said, sometimes it was a momentous moment or a time, and you said, wait a minute, I've been asking and it's been here, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Right, right, absolutely. And I'd be happy to send you a signed copy
1: uh can yeah. wait can wait yeah. you know i would love for you to join us in new york i have an, a, a, an event happening in july it's called heroes rising apex and with heroes rising apex we're bringing authors we're bringing coaches we're bringing all sorts, sorts of amazing people together i've interviewed probably 350 or more coaches so I'm inviting them all to come and join us and I have speakers and I have all these different people coming and it's going to be an amazing event where we all come and hug it out (laughs) you know because I'm a hugger what can I say so I would love for you to join us um, if you're free July 13th through the 16th mark it on your calendar and tell me where you are in the world by the way
2: I'm in Michigan and you oh, were in yeah. Michigan that long ago, right? That's
1: right. That's yeah. right. I, yeah. I was there for, for a meeting and it was, I drove in, got to my hotel, had my meeting, drove back <sighs> 14 and a half hours each way.
2: Oh my word.
1: I I I was going to take a, a plane in, but it would have been crazier with my schedule. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to drive. But when I drive, what am I going to do? I'm going to do the same thing I do every day I drive. I'm going to put on my university. So I call it my university on wheels. I have audiobooks, books, um, podcasts, all these different things that I listen to, to empower me. Because I love music, love music. I love to dance. I love to party. But when I'm driving... I want to think, I want to be inspired. So I did that for 14 and a half hours on the, on the way there, 14 and a half hours on the way back. And it was just, I got to get so much information. And sometimes when I'm driving, I'm like, man, I wish I had a notebook I can be writing at the same time. So I actually have something in my car that I can press a button, I can record. So I'll pause my audio and then I'll click on that and record what I want to say, or like, usually when I read a book, like when I'm going to read your book, I'm going to have a notebook next to it, because I'm going to take notes, right? Because for me, every time I read something, there's a message that I'm looking for. And the message is to inspire me. I'm inspired by every word that I read. So then I go, hmm, how do I see that? How do I interpret that? So, not only do I actively listen, I actively read. Yeah.
2: So. yeah, yeah. I do the same thing, have a highlighter
1: in mm-hmm. hand. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And yeah, to go through a book. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, mm-hmm. what would you say is a word of advice for someone who wants to inspire others?
2: Do it. Do it. You know, life is short and uh, sometimes it's easy to have a dream to want to do something, to strive to do something, aspire to do something. And you think, well, next year, well, Mm. when the kids are older, well, Mm. you know, there can be all these excuses, but start today, you know, Mm -hmm. start today and uh, figure it out that there are things that people can do at any given time, that will inspire somebody. I mean, just be you and be that inspiration, but don't get caught up in the putting things off, you know, figure out how to make things happen today.
1: Yeah. And you said it, life is short and we don't know, right. When we're really going to go like that nurse said, you have, you have time. To, for about your husband and he really didn't and you said it's okay sweetie it's okay go be with god because it, it was his time and we don't know when our time is do we
2: right right yeah we don't
1: i really want to thank you i had an amazing time getting to know you you are a beautiful beautiful soul Thank you for being on the show. I really, really appreciate you. Let's stay connected. I would love to, you know, bring you on other shows. I have, I have now five shows. I know it's crazy. I'm sure I'm, I've I've already been pitched like four more shows. So who knows? Maybe I will do them. <laughs> but when when we know that we can help just one person, it it makes a difference, right? And I know that mm-hmm. you being on here. You've helped all of my audience. So thank you for being here today.
2: Well, the, the honor is mine. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate you so much. And your contribution to the world is huge. Thank so you. thank you for what you do.
1: I appreciate that. All right. Well, let's talk soon. Great. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, Kim.
2: Bye-bye.